0: Good morning, and welcome to our online service. So good to have you with us today. Let's just spend a moment in prayer, shall we? Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to spend time in your word. We thank you for this precious book of Ephesians, this letter which Paul wrote to Christians so many years ago, but that has so many applications for us. And we ask that you would give us um, the spirit of revelation and insight in the knowledge of you, Lord Jesus. And we ask that you would strengthen us in our inner beings so that we would know you, Father God. We pray that your love would be shed abroad in our hearts and that we would have an experience of you as we spend time worshipping today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you watched my last sermon you'll know that we are busy camping in the book of Ephesians at the moment and we're having a look at the first 14 verses so that's where we're going to be today if you'd like to to turn there in your Bibles. Many years ago when I was in school I knew of a deputy headmaster from a neighboring school who had quite a novel method of punishing naughty boys. What he used to do is he would ask them to gather down at the first team cricket field and the boundaries of the cricket field were marked out by these big heavy rocks painted white and the punishment went as follows it would normally be two or three o'clock in the afternoon on a friday when everybody else had gone home for the weekend Um, the boy would have to pick up the first boundary stone very heavy struggle carrying it to the position of the second boundary stone put it down pick up that boundary stone carry it to the position of the third and the the boy had to do that for two hours in the hot sun and the thing that was so excruciating about this particular form of punishment was that all of that work and that energy and that effort was expended for absolutely nothing it was entirely meaningless and life without purpose is a bit like that it's meaningless it's at worst not worth living and at best it is unworthy of any kind of energy or passion or sacrifice or effort take love for example love is tough it requires energy it requires sacrifice it requires service why would we want to do all of those things if there is no meaning in life And that's why we've been turning to the book of Ephesians, as I said last time, because it's all about the purpose that God has for your life. It's about the purpose that he has for us as a church, Harvest Church. It's about the purpose that he has for the universal church and how that purpose dovetails with his overall purpose for mankind and the way things are going. But it's pointless, we said, having a purpose if we haven't been equipped to carry that purpose out. And so Paul starts his letter off by telling us all about the things that we have been equipped with in order to fulfill that purpose before he actually gets down to explaining what the purpose is. And so we had a look at the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus and considered those to be like equipment that enable us to fulfill our purpose. We talked about the character of those blessings. First of all, They are spiritual blessings. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Isn't that amazing? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So from that, we determined that the character of these blessings was that they were spiritual in nature and that they're located in heaven. And then we asked the question, well, how do we get linked in to those blessings? And there is a a very real sense in which our world overlaps with God's world because we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And so this means that these blessings are available to us. They transcend our circumstances. No matter what our circumstances are, they are still available to us and we are linked to them in Christ. So we talked about how we can view those blessings as the equipment we need to fulfill our purpose. But today I'd like to have a look at those blessings from a slightly different angle, a slightly different perspective, and that is the perspective of praise. It is inescapable that Paul is overwhelmed with praise as he talks about these particular blessings. He starts off by saying, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he erupts almost in a hymn of praise, which goes on for 14 verses. And in the Greek, there isn't any punctuation, as I mentioned the last time. He's just so excited. And he keeps repeating the phrase, to the praise of, to the praise of, to the praise of. Why is this the case? and this is something that i really would like to emphasize today and for you to take home with you that is that if you want to get through hardship you need to spend a lot of time reflecting on your blessings in christ and praising god for them you need to be aware of the eternal truths that form a foundation for your life that underpin your life because when the foundations are being shaken That's when we need to go back to those eternal truths. Think of the the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippian church. Um, They were going through a really tough time. Um, We see in, in Philippians that Paul says to them, It has been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer in him in the same way as you saw me suffering. And of course, when Paul was in Philippi, we read in Acts, he was beaten with rods along with Silas, and then they were locked up in prison for the night. So these Philippian Christians were experiencing persecution and hardship. And what does Paul say to them? In chapter 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says, I will say it again, rejoice. In other words, I'm underlining this. This is important. Rejoicing is so important. And then there is another apostle as well who was writing to a group of churches in Asia Minor. This is Peter. His letter was, we, we know it in our Bible as One Peter. These churches were about to experience um, a, a tsunami of persecution. And the reason was because the emperor in Rome was a new emperor. It was a man called Nero. I'm sure many of you have heard about him, an incredibly cruel man. And he started to systematize, if you like, persecution of Christians. He actually used to put poles in the ground in his garden and he would tie Christians to the top of the pole, saturate them in, in tar and pitch and set them alight to illuminate his garden parties. And now when Peter is writing to these people, he acknowledges that they're going through um, g- grief and hardship of all kinds. But he says, he says, in this you greatly rejoice not in the hardship but in the blessings that he lists before and there's a list of blessings at the start of 1 Peter which is very similar to the ones that we see today in Paul so what we're going to do in order to to help you get through the tough times that we're in is we're going to continue reflecting on these amazing blessings that we that we have last time we talked about the past blessing of election this time we talk about the present blessing, blessing, I beg your pardon, of adoption. Have a look at verse five. It says, In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. He didn't predestine us for employment as workers. He didn't predestine us for conscription as soldiers. No. He predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. And then it says that he did it according to the purpose of his will. In other words, God wanted you to be his child. God wasn't compelled by some other greater, more powerful God who turned to him and said, right, you guys get to look after the mankind for the next uh, 5,000 years. We're off to go and have a good time. He wasn't compelled to look after us. He wasn't compelled to make us his children. And there wasn't um, either any sort of internal uh, compulsion f- for this to happen. Um, think of it this way. Gail and I, before we had children, we were perfectly satisfied in our relationship. We, we loved one another deeply and we continue to love one another deeply. And we didn't need to have children in order to make up some lack in our relationship. And it was the same for God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. They didn't need that. But like us, we, we looked out into our garden and we, we wanted to see children playing there. We looked at our swimming pool and we wanted to see kids playing in the swimming pool. We wanted to see children in our lounge reading books. We wanted To have children and so we chose to expand or to grow our family and that's exactly what God did he wanted you to be a member of his family and he did it in love this is not the relationship of a a boss to an employee this is the relationship of a loving good father with his children and we'll have a look at some more on that later Notice it also says that in love he predestined us for adoption, in verse 5, to the praise of his glorious grace. The ultimate expression of God's glorious grace to us is in his adoption of us. Every created being looks at what God has done to adopt us as children when formerly we were enemies of his. And they say, wow, isn't God's grace amazing? They praise and they worship God and we should do the same thing. That former enemies of God should be adopted into his family. Now, in order for us to be adopted, there were certain conditions that needed to be fulfilled. I think the reality is that many of us take being children of God for granted. And that's because we assume that every human being is a child of God. And there is a sense in which that is true because He created everyone. But if we had to be adopted, surely that implies that there was a time before our adoption when we were not children of God. So let's consider some of the conditions that were necessary for us to be adopted into His family. First of all, redemption. Folks, if you weren't a child of God, before you were adopted, then what were you? And Paul tells us in his choice of the word redemption because his readers at the time knew exactly what he was talking about. He was talking about the price that needed to be paid in order to set a slave free. Redemption means deliverance by payment of a price. In Paul's day, every slave had a price, and if you paid the price, that slave could go free. And so, this tells us that before our adoption, we were actually slaves slaves to sin, the Bible tells us. Sin is such a harsh taskmaster. Sin has no consideration for our health and our well being. In fact, when sin is our master, we are set on a path to an eternity separated from God. But what was the price? Have a look at verse seven. It says, in him, referring to the beloved, to Christ, in him we have redemption through his blood. Folks, Christ paid a debt that he did not owe, and we owed a debt that we could not pay. We needed someone to wipe our sins away, And now we sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, Christ Jesus paid a debt that we could never pay. Isn't that something to be grateful for? Isn't that something to meditate on and to celebrate during these hard times? So the first condition for adoption was redemption. The second condition was forgiveness. The awesome thing about God is not only did he choose to redeem us and set us free, but he also wanted our relationship with him to be reestablished, and that could only happen through forgiveness. If a person has wronged you, there must be forgiveness in order for there to be complete reconciliation. And it says there in verse seven, "In him we have redemption through his blood, and then it carries on the forgiveness of our trespasses." And don't you think it's wonderful that it goes on to say, according to? to the riches of his grace in other words there is a limitless treasure house of grace available for our forgiveness and for me personally that feels like a really good thing because I know that I've blown it so many times in the past I know that I love God I desire to please him and in spite of that I'm going to blow it going forward into the future but there is a rich storehouse of forgiveness of grace Available to me. I would just like to try and illustrate these two conditions for redemption and forgiveness using an analogy. Just imagine that there is a judge. Now, this judge is presiding over the trial of a man accused of murder. So, all the evidence is admitted, uh, all the witnesses are grilled, the the, um, defense. The the defense arguments are heard, the, the accusation arguments are heard and finally the jury goes out, they deliberate, they come back and they say to the judge, we believe that this man is guilty. We believe there is no doubt that he's guilty and the judge is now obliged under the law to consign this man to death by hanging but he doesn't want to do that. He wants this man to be forgiven and yet the law still needs to be fulfilled. And so what he decides to do is he says, I'm going to bring my son, my only son who has not committed murder and he is going to be hung in the place of the murderer and that murderer is going to go free. So he has been redeemed by the price of the son. But not only that, the judge decides that he will forgive this man, And not only that, just imagine now that he goes with him outside of the courtroom, puts his arm around him and says, not only have I arranged for you to be set free, but I want you to become my son. I want you to, to, to take on the rights of everything that my son who is about to be hanged would, um, would have been entitled to. Folks, that's what it means to be adopted by God. And so we've, we've had a look at the conditions for adoption. Let's have a look now briefly at the meaning of adoption. What does it actually mean to us? The first thing that it means is that we have relationship. In verse 5, we're told that he predestined us for adoption in love. Listen to this scripture from verse uh, Romans 8 verse 15. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This is a, a, a term of intimacy, of endearment, that is used by a son to address a father that he loves and is close to. Abba, Father. Daddy, Father. Galatians 4 verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Folks, it doesn't matter how bad a day you've had, or how bad a week, or month, or maybe in Zimbabwe's case, decade. You can still turn to this loving Father. And you can ask Him to take you in His arms. And you know what he's done? It says in Romans 5 that he has has, um, shared his love abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. So there is a very real sense in which because we have the Holy Spirit in us, we can experience that love of the Father. It is shared abroad in our hearts. Isn't that something to praise God for? We have a relationship we also have a secure inheritance. Look at at verse 11. It says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. Now this is spoken with such certainty and yet we know that we haven't received that inheritance in fullness yet because if you look at verse 13, it says, um, talks about our inheritance until we acquire possession of it so there's a sense in which we haven't fully acquired possession of our inheritance and yet Paul writes here in him we have obtained it's already happened even though it hasn't yet happened in full how can he be so sure certain how can he be so sure well that certainty is based on the predestination of God's choice for us and his sovereignty. Just have a look at there. In him we have obtained an inheritance. We've already obtained it, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Folks, we know that we have this inheritance because God wants it and he is also sovereign. He is able to make sure that his will prevails he works in all things according to the counsel of his will he has the power he has the wisdom he has the knowledge he has everything that he needs to make sure that it's going to happen and in Roman law when you were adopted as a son you ended up having the same rights as every other naturally born child in that family folks we have an inheritance with Christ We are co-heirs with Christ. What is Christ's inheritance? It's everything. Absolutely everything. We share in that inheritance. There is no sense in which we are just under foster care. We share the full rights of a full child. So we've obtained that a secure inheritance based on the choice and the sovereignty of God. And you'd think that that was enough. But there's actually more. In verse 13 and 14, it says that we are sealed. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Why does Paul say the promised Holy Spirit? Well, it's because for hundreds of years before the day of Pentecost, which is when God poured out his Spirit on the church, the prophets had been predicting this. Joel did it. In Joel chapter 2 verses 28 to 32 and he says, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And Peter quoted that on the day of Pentecost when he was talking to everybody. So we, we have this promised Holy Spirit. And Paul describes the Spirit as a seal that guarantees your inheritance. It's a bit like in our day and age where you make a down payment on a house And it becomes your house. There's a transfer of ownership. And the guarantee, the deposit guarantees that you're going to finish paying off that house. And I just think that God is so gracious to do that for us. He could have said to us, on the basis of my predestination and my sovereignty, you're going to get this full inheritance. But he does more than that. He he puts the Holy Spirit in our hearts, poured out into our hearts, um, so that we can experience. The intimacy and the love of God. And just think, folks, of the blessings that accrue to you because you have the Holy Spirit in your heart. Think of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Think of the gifts of the Spirit. Healing, prophecy, all of those amazing gifts. All of that because we have been adopted and we have that seal of ownership, guaranteeing. Our inheritance. So, the present blessing of adoption. We have redemption, deliverance by the payment of a price. We have forgiveness from a treasure house of grace that will never run out. We have a relationship with a loving Father. We have a secure inheritance which we share with Christ, and it's underpinned by the sovereignty and the choice of God and guaranteed by the seal of the Holy Spirit. Now that's the present blessing of adoption and when you reflect on that there, there's a chance that you could get a little bit too self-centered and think that it's all about us and that's why we're going to close today looking at the future blessing of unification. Unification. We need to look at the past blessing of election and the present blessing of adoption in context and folks, this is where it gets truly exciting and praiseworthy. Turn to verse 9. God makes known to us the mystery of His will. Let's just comment on His will for a moment. God has a will. And we saw in verse 11 that He works out everything according to the counsel of His will. It's all, it's all very well to have a will. But if you don't have the means to make sure that your will is enforced, then that will is useless. But God's will will come to pass. He is entirely t- capable of implementing His will and doing what He wants. But does that mean that there is no meaning to what He does? No, because it says here, He makes known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose. His will is guided by His purpose. Now, a question. Can we know the will and the purpose of God or is it a mystery? Verse 9 we're looking at says that he makes known to us the mystery of his will. Now in the Bible a mystery is, someth- is not something that you can't know or that you can't get to the bottom of but it is something that needs to be revealed to you by God, by the power of the Holy Spirit and that's exactly what happened here because Paul suddenly he began to see what this mystery was because God was unfolding it for him and that's exactly what he's doing for us today. So his will, his purpose, his mystery. Look at the timing according to the fullness of time as a plan for the fullness of time. Now this this brings to mind for me um, a scene out of the Lord of the Rings when everybody is waiting for Gandalf to arrive for Bilbo Baggins 111th birthday party and when he finally arrives Frodo accuses him of being late and Gandalf says this to him he says I am never late nor am I early I always arrive precisely when I mean to and that's God God's timing is perfect in the fullness of time this plan will be implemented and we get to be a part of it And I think many of us need to hear this today, that God is never late, nor is he early. He always arrives precisely when he means to. Let's have a look at the plan now. God's will and purpose have been revealed to us as a plan. Folks, there is nothing random about history. If you are someone who believes in the theory of evolution, if you believe that all of this can be explained without reference to God according to physical forces that are just acting, then there is no meaning in life. And that is, that is you, you, you've just got to come to that point. There's, there's no point in looking, for example, at what Hitler did to the Jews and say that was wrong Well, on what basis was it wrong? It was simply him trying to be the survival of the fittest. He was trying to remove from the gene pool people that he thought were weak, people who were mentally retarded or gypsies or the poor or Jewish people. But with God, everything is moving in accordance with his plan. And what is his plan? Well, we see it here. It is to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven And things on earth and I think the NIV translation is just right here it says to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head even Christ and I I think just from doing a a, a bit of a word study on on what Paul was trying to get across here that Zimbabweans have a perfect expression that means the same thing and that is to get it sorted Jesus is going to get everything in heaven and on earth sorted guys he says don't worry I'm going to get it sorted he'll be in charge it's going to happen according to his will in line with his purpose and in his good time so God has a plan and his plan is to unite all things in Christ he also has a plan to make his glory known and to stir up praise in other words as we start to see this being unfolded it is always going to result in praise and glory to God because it's just so exciting to see and to know that he's bringing everything together and he's going to sort it all out now brothers and sisters I hope you can see the link between your personal adoption and God's plan to unite all things in Christ it's right there in verses 10 to 12 your inheritance as an adopted child was predetermined, get this, as one of all the works God chose to do in order to implement His plan of getting everything sorted. It's not all about you. You fit into this amazing plan that God has to bring everything under the headship of Christ to sort everything out. And the implication of that is that we need to participate in God's plan. And that's why. Paul, right at the start in verse 1, he says, To the, Ephes- to the, to the saints who are in Ephesus, um, those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. He's Right at the beginning, he's identified it's a great thing that they have all these blessings um, and that they are faithful. And he's also reminding them and us that we need, that should be our response. We need to be faithful. We need to participate in God's plan. Get involved in it. At Harvest we've been talking about how over the next few months, because we still aren't able to meet together in big groups, that, that it's a wonderful opportunity for you to start a little home church in your house. You'll be able to, to um, all you need to be really is a host of that little home church. So you, you play the sermon that is preached, you, you go through the, the, the praise list, um, you, you act as a host, you have tea and fellowship and a little bit of prayer afterwards. And it will be a wonderful setting for you to invite people who would never want to go and spend time in a big organized church meeting. So we have this opportunity to, be, to participate in God's plan to bring everything under the headship of Christ. Another implication of this I think is illustrated really well By the film um, Forrest Gump. Now I don't know if you remember at the start of the movie it starts off with a feather um, just drifting on on the breeze and it seems to be entirely random and then as this feather comes further and further down we realize that that Forrest Gump is sitting on a bench in a park and the feather comes and it's blown and it lands on his shoulder and basically right from the start we realise that everything that happens in this movie although it seems utterly random is going to end up where it's meant to end up and Forrest Gump is sitting there and then people start sitting next to him on the bench and he starts telling him his life and we start to see his life through those stories that he tells people He's, he fights in Vietnam he ends up being a table tennis champion he, he's on a, fish, on, a, on a shrimping boat in the middle of a typhoon. Um, but all the time when we're watching that movie and there's all sorts of chaos and horrible things happening, we know how it's going to end up. We know that we're going to be back there with Forrest Gump at the end of it all, sitting on a bench um, and everything's okay. And that's the way it is for us as well. We know where it's going to end up. And everything is moving according to God's plan and purpose. Lastly, I don't think we can move on without asking, how do we receive these blessings? In verse 13 it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So in this verse, the blessings are sort of summed up by the seal of the Holy Spirit. And Paul tells us that we are sealed when we heard. In him also, when you heard. What is it that we need to hear? Well, we need to hear the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. This is exactly what we're talking about today. The good news that Jesus Christ will take the punishment for your sin so that you who were formerly a rebel and an enemy of God can be adopted and become a child of God. This is the gospel of your salvation. And then it says, and believed in Him. If you believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and that He died in your place and that God raised Him from the dead, which proves that He was an acceptable sacrifice because God wouldn't have been able to raise Him if He was guilty of any sin. If you believe that and you believe that you can be adopted into God's family then you receive the blessings and I would just like to add as a concluding comment that we do need to be faithful we don't simply receive these things for our own benefit because we have received them as a response to God out of praise of his goodness and his love and because we want to please him we then get involved in this plan that he has to sort everything out we get so involved we get so invested we love people um, we start telling them about the good news that we've heard shall we pray father god once again i ask that you would shed your love abroad in our hearts we pray that every person in the week ahead would have an experience of your love we pray that this would go beyond um, a knowledge of you to an experience of you and father I pray that as each person reflects on the truth on on the blessings that we have that you would give them revelation and insight in this knowledge so that they would come to know you in a deeper way so that you would stir up praise and worship in their hearts that would give them the strength to overcome their tough circumstances. And Father, I also ask that you would help us to be faithful, faithful to play our part in this wonderful plan that you have to sort everything out. We thank you that we know how it's all going to end up. And we pray all of these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for spending time with us, and we look forward to being with you again in the near future. Goodbye.